Um, I don't think I should have arranged for my wife to give me a haircut yesterday. <laughs> that was wrong timing, I think. <laughs> but it, also, it still seems to be okay. Well, it's lovely, lovely to be able to come together as God's people and to look to his word together. So let me lead you in prayer as we look to this scripture. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that in mercy and grace you drew us to yourself in your Son, and in drawing us to yourself you drew us together as your children together. And we thank you, Lord, as we come together this morning that we can meet round your word, we can pray, we can sing your praises. And we pray that now as we look to your word that you would fulfill that promise that you gave that your spirit would open that word, open our hearts and our minds to that word and enable us to understand what you're saying to us and respond in a way that's going to bring honour and glory to your name. For in the name of Christ we ask this. Amen. Amen. Now some may wonder, why on earth are we looking at the book of Revelation this morning? <laughs> There's other passages, aren't there, that you could look at coming up to Christmas. Well, I hope as we look at this passage you'll say, yes, as I was beginning to, to think about, okay, where are we, what are we working at as we come to Christmas, this was the passage that popped out to me for us to look at. And I hope you can see, as I get to it, that it's not so strange after all, and it does really fit with where we should be at Christmas in our thinking. Uh, the book of Revelation, as you know, is, is written by John, John the Apostle. Um, John is, is on the island of Patmos, which is a very small island. Uh, he's there. And he says he was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he was there persecution because he preached Christ. And therefore he was put on this island where, where the Romans put any political um, detainees or religious detainees that were on this little island. They just plonked them there. It's a pretty bare island, not much going on there. Uh, it's a, 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 they uh, mined marble there uh, and it's quite desolate. So it's the sort of place where you would plonk people. It's like, um, have you ever been to, uh, is it called Fort Denison in Sydney Harbour? Anyone been? Well, that was a rock in Sydney Harbour. Then they put that fort on, believing the French and others were going to come to attack us. And so they built this fortress on there. But uh, any, any um, of, the, of, the, um, of, of those that, who were out in the penal colony, uh, any who were playing up they would row them out and plonk them on the rock. Do you know? uh, there's plenty of sharks around Sydney Harbour at that time and that tended to keep them on the rock. Well, Patmos is the same sort of place, right? You plonk people, you don't really need guards. They're there, they're not going to go anywhere, they're not going to do anything. There's nothing much to go, nothing much to do. Uh, and so Revelation, we're told, he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, the word revelation means to make known. Uh, for a number of years, Joan and myself, we were, as I said, CMS missionaries in Malaysia, and I was the vicar of St. George's Penang in Malaysia. And after a number of years, um, the congregation kept saying to me, Peter, when are you going to preach through the book of Revelation? I kept thinking, well, we'll eventually get there. Just hold on. We'll eventually get there, right? And slowly uh, coming along, eventually it really had to be. And so therefore, as I then thought about and did just some preliminary thinking, uh, the word revelation means to make known. And in my brain, it had been impossible to know. Did, would that be true of some of you as well? Did, when you think of the book of Revelation, you think this is really 
difficult to get to know. It, it means to unveil. It means to lift the veil and to see what is really there. That's what revelation is. So it is all, this is reality as it is, but there's a veil over it and we can't see clearly. But the veil is lifted and you can see clearly what is really going on. That's what revelation means. That's what the book means, to show us reality, to show us reality. Now, the picture that you have in your mind about anyone or anything is the way you're going to behave or act and think about that particular person or that particular thing. One of the um, <clears throat> difficult things is that sometimes you hear some gossip about someone and then sadly when you meet the person, what's the first thing that comes to your head? The gossip. And you put them in that category straight away. Am I right? That's what you do. And you don't fairly listen to them or fairly judge them at all. It's the same thing when you think about the name of Jesus Christ, right? Um, I, as I've thought about this in years gone by, I've thought, well, okay, what was in my mind coming up through Sunday school and so forth? Well, what was in my mind was, was untouchable. Jesus is untouchable. Uh, white, always white, right? And always glowing, right? And always totally separate from me totally separate from me and and that was the pictures I saw do you know that uh, I wasn't the only one who saw those pictures was I or not now some of you are old enough to have been at summer Sunday school some years ago aren't you would you have had the same thing or not I, that my vision was separate do you, and, and not touched um, uh, a few years ago I was I found a, a a DVD on the gospel of Matthew and it was the NIV Bible, word for word, right, being acted out. And the bit that I saw was that someone was showing me a bit to say, hey, Peter, we, we, we need this for our church. Okay, so I was looking at this bit, and it was Jesus and the, and the uh, lepers, cleansing the lepers. And, um, and here is the, this leper, Jesus walking along the road with the disciples, and he's got an arm around the disciple's shoulder. I thought, oops, what's going on here, <laughs> right? And then it comes along and the lepers come and they're all talking and joking. Then the lepers come and, of course, Jesus then reaches out and touches and you see the look on everyone's face. You don't touch a leper, right? And then the leper is cleansed and one of the lepers cleansed then grabs hold of Jesus in great joy, do you know, of what has occurred. And I thought, oh, dear me. Um, but when I stopped and thought about it, that's far more the reality, isn't it, than what I was thinking beforehand. The other sad thing in many parts of our world is that the only picture they see of Jesus, the only thing that, they, that is there in their church for many or in their home, in their books, is Jesus either as a baby or hanging dead on a cross. And therefore, that's your thinking. So therefore, if I want help, and if I want someone to help me, would I go to the baby or would I go to someone dead on a cross? Or would I go to a saint? Do you, do you know? Or would I go to Mary? Do you, you know, my mum was the one who always got us out of trouble. 
So you go to the mum, isn't it? That's, and that would be a bit of logical thinking, right? And sadly, that's the image that people have got. Now, when you come to the, to the scriptures, there is no physical description of Jesus. You can read through the Gospels and there's nothing there for you to start painting. Do you? There's nothing physical that's described whatsoever. And it's only here in the book of Revelation that there is a description, that there is a description, and it's a particular sort of description we'll see in a moment, but there's only here where John has this vision of the risen, ascended, glorified Christ. And you'll find, if you, when we read through the passage and we look at the passage again, you'll find the word like keeps coming up all the time. It's, so he's trying to describe this vision and he's trying to grab words and concepts that will mean something to us and so he keeps saying like. Now if I asked you, please tell me about your mother, I think I would hope that the majority of you do not start. Her height was this, her weight was this, you know, a physical thing. You would say, loving, caring. Am I right or not? Right? You, you would be describing who she really is, isn't it? That, that would be the thing. And then, then when there were some particular way she was or things she did, you would say, well, it was like such and such you know, to help me understand what you're saying. And so that's what John is doing here. He's trying to, to, to bring words and concepts to us that can help us understand this vision that he saw. And the vision that he saw is the, is the person, the reality of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so he's drawing this picture. The other thing too, you must remember that as you look at this picture, you've got to look at the whole picture, not just pull a little bit out and that becomes your key and only point. He's, give, he's painting a whole picture and you need to hang on to the whole picture. If, you, if you're following through a Bible that had cross-references, you'll find that almost everything he says about this description, it's already there in the Old Testament. And most of the concepts that are there in the Old Testament are talking of the person and character of God himself. And so that's where a lot is drawn. So if you want to know what does he really mean by that, what does he really mean by that, then you go back and see that he's drawing out of the Old Testament scriptures, of, the, of God's revelation of himself. And the titles that are used of Jesus here are titles that are then used in the rest of the book of Revelation. Well, let's look at this vision that John has. Just, I'm just going to read from verse 12. It says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash. And around his chest, and it was a, sorry, the golden sash, sash was around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Well, let's just look a little briefly 
at each of these to gain the picture of what John is describing of who our Lord and Saviour, risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He says, there was, he, amongst the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. Now, Son of Man, we've heard before, if you've read the Gospel, Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. And I'm sure you've heard enough sermons to know that the Son of Man comes from the book of Daniel. And it's a vision of Daniel, of this Son of Man. And let me just read you a little bit from Daniel 7. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All of God's plans and purpose are wrapped up in this Son of Man, this person, Jesus Christ, Lord and Saviour. The end of Matthew's Gospel brings this out so clearly where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, you know, therefore go and make Christ known, make Christ known. And you can go with great authority and great confidence because all power and authority is given into the hands of me, the Son of Man. And then he was dressed, he said, he's dressed in, in a long robe reaching down. Now, as a male, not too good about describing clothes. Uh, there are times that uh, Joan and myself can go shopping or go to a, a big shopping centre or something and so she goes to does one thing, I go do another. I come back to meet her. If you said, what colour is Joan wearing today? I've got no idea. I'm even worse where Joan, I meet someone and Joan says, okay, uh, what coloured hair? I've got no idea. It doesn't all seem to register. Are any other guys like me or just me? Is that a bit like it? Where Joan would see and know all of that, right? And therefore she would know far more about the long robe. The, and, and the long robe is it, the mark of, of someone who is, is highly respected and of authority and strength and honour and honour. And of course the robes that he's talking about here would be tied back to, to, to the priesthood in the Old Testament and to realise that this, this Son of God, this Jesus Christ, is not only the one who has come to offer the sacrifice for our sin, but he is the sacrifice for our sin. And that's where he's trying to explain the idea of, of the robes reaching down to the feet. And his head and hair were white like wool. Now, what does this mark? Well, this one I do know because those of us with a little bit of grey, we know that it's the mark of wisdom. Am I right? <laughs> okay, there are some to agree. <laughs> it's the mark of wisdom. It's the mark that you re of dignity. And it's the mark of purity. And it's interesting, it, that's virtually in every culture. It's interesting across the world. Um, Grey hair is, is a mark of age and dignity and so forth. Uh, he doesn't grow old is the mark, right? Uh, doesn't lose his power. And his eyes are like blazing fire. There is nothing hidden from his eyes. You see, that's what he's trying to describe. 
Uh, he cannot be fooled. He cannot be fooled. You know, this, this can either be produced fear or comfort. It's fear or comfort. It's fear knowing that when you stand on the last day, everything is clear before the judge. All the things you made sure no one else in Robertson knew about, I'm afraid they're all out there on the screen. Uh, everything is clear. He knows everything, even the desires and thoughts of the heart. But it's also a source of great comfort. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, the penalty for your sin is paid in full, then I know even though there's things that I've got that I myself have no understanding, God himself does, and he's dealt with it. Isn't that a great sense of comfort? It's interesting, in, in heaven, there's no court of appeal because there's no need for a court of appeal. We only have courts of appeal because all the information got mixed up, you know, and some witness said this and some witnesses this and we weren't quite sure we were this way or that way and therefore it's all quite so you need a court of appeal but there, there is no court of appeal in heaven the other thing that interests me is that over the years there's always people who feel when I get to heaven I'm going to ask Jesus about this have you noticed that everything here that's got to do with heaven there's no one asking any questions when they see him face to face there are no more questions do you there are no more questions. You know that everything is there. Everything is dealt with. Everything is open. A great source of comfort and joy of who this Lord risen Saviour is. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. In other words, they were able to, to accomplish the feet are secure and can stand and can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. So when it comes to judgment... Our Lord Jesus Christ is more than able to judge rightly and justly and to perform that judgment on that last day. And then his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Now I've gone back and followed up some of the cross references and therefore I know from Ezekiel 43, in one of the visions that Ezekiel had, he says, I saw the glory of, God, of the God of Israel coming from the east. And his voice was like the roar of rushing water. And so John has picked that up. Yes, this, this Son of Man, this Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is God. That's how you describe his voice. There's no other way of describing it. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. The seven stars are the churches. That was read earlier in the chapter. They're the churches. And, and the church is, is in the hands of, of, Christ, of, of Christ himself. Um, the body of Christ, those who are his, are secure in that hand. The church may blow itself apart. We may do lots of stupid, crazy things. But, but those whom Christ has drawn together to himself are safe within that hand and safe within his hands. And the sharp and the sword, the, the word of God that cuts right to the marrow, the word that goes right to the heart, 
You know, I'm sure you have found, as I have found, as you read the scriptures, um, when you think, um, I've, I'm now working through the book of Psalms again at the moment, is something I'm doing. Now, I, I was ordained 1963. So I think I've gone through the book of Psalms quite a few times over all those years, right? And preached through the scriptures all those times. But every time I sit and read it, there's something afresh that comes, do you know? And I say, yes. So it's not as though there's something out from left field or right field. It's as though the Spirit just opens the word a little more, opens your eyes a little more to understand a little more and to understand who you are and what you are and understand God's love and mercy and grace with you in whatever circumstance you're in. That's what the book of Psalms is on about, whatever circumstance you're in. He is open. He is there. And that word comes right. And his face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. That's talking of wonder and awe. In other words, overwhelming, overwhelming. That's the words that he tr- he's pulled together to try to, to picture the, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, risen, glorified. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, as we come to this Christmas, it's just, um, I continually find it mind-blowing that this, this is who this babe in the manger is. God with us. Now, we're going through a good year, Jane and myself. We've come up this year with two great-granddaughters. Wonderful. One's in Perth, though, although we've got her on video, and the other's here in Wollongong, and we see her face to face. And you look at these babies... And, and you just think how wonderful it is, isn't it? They're all, all the bits are there. <laughs> a stupid father, isn't it? You're, you're looking and you're, you're thinking, yes, all, all the bits are there. And under God, it's just... But then when you stop at Christmas and realise this babe, this is who this babe is. God so loved that he gave his one and only son. And he gave the one and only son knowing that the only way that we could be right with him, the only way could that separation of our sin and selfishness be taken away is through his death and resurrection for us. And that's what he accomplished. That's what he came to accomplish. And that's what he accomplished. And here in Revelation, we're actually getting a glimpse of looking out further into the future and seeing who this risen, glorified Christ really is. And the first words he says to John are the words that he said to the disciples after his resurrection was, do not be afraid. And to me, what that says is that we have a Lord and Saviour who recognises what's going on in your heart and mind and responds to that. He doesn't respond with the textbook this is what's happened, this is what's happened, Peter, now you should be here. It doesn't doesn't respond like that at all. 
responds personally and to John responds personally. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because I am the first and the last. I'm the first and the last. Where does the I am come from? Well, John had already heard Jesus talking about I am. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. All of those, I am the door. right? And all knowing that that goes back to Moses in the wilderness. And when Moses being sent back into Egypt to bring the people out, he said, who will I say sent me? And God says, say, I am has sent you. You see the link, the tie that's coming here. I am the first and the last. I am eternal. I'm eternally begotten. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Death will no longer have dominion over him. And in Christ, death will have no longer dominion over us. What's the big thing about sin? It's death. And that dealt with in the death of Christ. What's the big thing about life being raised from the dead? And in Christ Jesus, that's who we are. And we share in that death and we share in that resurrection. And he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. And that's a concept we understand, isn't it? Who's got the keys for this place? <laughs> in other words, who's in control of who comes in and who goes out? Isn't that the, it's a simple concept to grab, isn't it? And that's what the concept here. He is the one. There's nothing outside of his domain, nothing whatsoever. He alone can lock. He alone can unlock. Well, as we come and enjoy and know the joy of Christmas, that a babe is born as we come over this next weekend, what, what is the picture that's in your mind concerning this babe? What, what, what is it, your vision, of who this Jesus is? Does it need a bit of revising this Christmas? Huh? That's something I thought as I was thinking about this. Does your need a bit of revising? Is, is it a bit, of, a bit dead in the water, no reality, no really grasp of exactly who this babe really is? And if we understand who he really is, doesn't that give us enormous confidence and trust that we can trust him? We can, have, we can put all of our confidence in him, not only for today but for tomorrow and for the whole of eternity. What tremendous comfort and assurance that he is able to fulfill everything that he has promised and he most certainly will do it. You know, although we may not grasp everything about this vision and the book of Revelation, but in the work of the Spirit opening our eyes, we will see enough. And we will see enough that here is the Lord, Saviour, king all the names Emmanuel all the Christmas names that that come to us this is who he is and everything is in his hand and if you know him as your personal lord and savior then that's where you are within the hands of the risen glorified Christ and this same Jesus will return in glory and therefore the end of book of revelation finishes with come lord jesus come. That's what we're looking for. That's what we long for. Let me pray.
Father, we thank you that you have spoken clearly to us through your word, that you give us the gift of your spirit to help us to grasp and understand. And we just pray, Lord, that as we come to this Christmas, that it will be a time of real great joy and peace and happiness and assurance that the wonder of this babe, Emmanuel, God with us, who he is, what he has accomplished, where we are with him. Help us, Lord, to grab this bigger picture. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.